Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoy today's message. So you can open up your Bible with me if that's all right. And we are this morning starting just a quick, we are going to take a break from our series in the book of Acts, this, the story of the early church. And we'll come back to that at a later point again. The Ananias and Sapphira sermon apparently from last week was a bit much for everyone to handle. That's all right. Um, but we are taking a four-week break and we are doing a series that we're calling This Is Us. What are the rhythms that make this church what it is? Now, let me tell you quickly about our family, the Strafelts. We've got some rhythms that make us who we are. So before every single meal, we sing a song as a family that was taught to us by a good friend from the Western Cape. So we all grab hands, and then we swing them as we sing this song. And in Afrikaans, it goes like this. Smok, look at yet, smok, look at yet, woo! And we do that every single time we eat. And to the horror of people who come and visit our place, some of the church people that have been there, you sing that song with us, right? I can see the horror in the faces above the mask. So that's one of our rhythms. Another rhythm that we have is on Friday evenings, we stand in a circle and we say we light up some candles and we ask ourselves, what are you grateful for this week? What's one thing that you're grateful for? And I promise you that Mia basically says the same thing every single week as a four-year-old. But we hear, and then we make homemade pizza, and we watch a movie together. That's one of our rhythms. Another rhythm is that on your birthday, you can go and pick. You can go into Pick and Pay or Checkers or Woolies if you're really fancy. And you can go in there, and you can go into the cereal aisle, and you can choose the most sugary cereal that you can find. And we're all going to eat it together for your birthday for supper. How's that? So... Those are some of the rhythms that make us who we are. And we sense it's a season just to speak as a younger church with new people coming in and coming out of a weird 2020 to for a couple of weeks speak about some of the rhythms, not the values and the vision, and there's a whole bunch of other things we can say, but one or two key rhythms that make this family who we are. And the first one that we want to speak about in this week is probably the most key rhythm, weekly rhythm in the whole Doxedo family. And that is the mindset, the posture of what a disciple in this city is meant to be. And what is that? A city changer. Every single one of us is called to be city changers. That's just who we are. Now, let me give you an example. Um, I know the Falkenbergs. Um, especially Andre, he is a brilliant guy in the garden. He's got a green thumb. But I promise you that he does not have this plant in his garden because there's a plant called the corpse plant. And it blooms about once every 12 years, and then 48 hours later, it's gone again. And why this is so famous is because this plant is the stinkiest plant in the world. In fact, when this plant blooms from all around, you can, you can smell the aroma of this plant. In fact, the last time it bloomed, the guardian said the stench, I quote, is worse than a thousand pukes. How's that? <laughs> That's the literal description. So this plant gives off an aroma that you cannot miss. Now, can I contrast that? to this scripture, and to maybe some of your thinking about what church is. Read with me. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says this, But thanks be to God who always leads us 
in what? Religion, in new rhythms, in, in trying to be a better person, in good morality, in dressing in nice clothes and pretending that you are something you're not. No, what does it say? It says he leads us in Christ Jesus' triumphal procession, in his finished work, in what he has done, not what you can contribute, what he has finished on the cross. And what? And through that, through us, he spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. In every place. You know what the Greek for that word every means? It's so fascinating. It literally means every. It's incredible. In every place that you find yourself, Christ, through his finished work in you and through you, he is spreading the aroma of who he is, of his kingdom. For to God, we as the church are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We are the fragrance of Jesus. And listen to me, we are not a fragrance like a corpse plant who comes together as all throughout church history and it's a gathering of the dead and dead spirit and dead religion. No, it's a gathering that comes together so that we can go. It's a gathering of the life of Jesus, the renewal of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus, the grace and the truth of Jesus. Not people pretending or putting up a religious, you know, banquet for everyone to see our self-righteousness. No, it's a place where we say because of who Jesus is, because of his goodness, because of his word and truth, we come together to encourage and then we go. And in your work and in your studies and in your parenting, in your commune, in your home, in your office, there is a moment for us every single week to spread the aroma of who Jesus is. You are not called to attend the church simply. You are called and invited to be the church. Guys, today is day one of a weekly cycle of us going out and being the aroma of Jesus. This is why I love Jesus sharing the gospel, giving us the purpose of what it is, the focus of what it is. In Mark 1 verse 14, he says, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee and he proclaimed the what? The good news of God. It's good. When was the last time that you heard the fact that Jesus is not a system of religion or a philosophy or a worldview or something you're born into if you're in the right space of the world, but it's good news. Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection is good news. And he calls everyone to say, listen, God stepped into historically 2,000 years ago human history, and he calls us to say, I've dealt with sin, death, brokenness, the enemy, with your shame, with your pain, with your guilt, with what you've done to others or what they've done to you. I have dealt with that on the cross. That's good news. And now I'm inviting you to this adventure called life where I'm saying every single moment of your life can be an aroma. It can be the opposite of a corpse plant. It can be the, the life-giving aroma of Jesus in this city. That is what we call to. And so someone who realizes they are called by Jesus, not just to attend the church, but to be the church, there is a mindset. And I want to invite you this morning to with me make some of these shifts in your mind with regard to what God is calling you to. Because a city changer, number one, is someone who thinks differently about what? About the city. A city changer, a, a disciple of Jesus, a follower, a student of Jesus is someone who thinks differently about the city. 
Guys, can we just be honest this morning? Whether you're a student, whether you're in high school, whether you're working, empty nester, so many of us live in this constant place of a split between the sacred and the secular, between the miraculous and the mundane, between these holy moments and then just life. You know, just this week, I had the privilege to catch up with an old friend. I've known him since grade one. He's a year older than me, brilliant athlete. We used to run together, such a great guy, but he got saved radically in our first year. I think we honestly saw revival in my circle of friends through the church. You know, just tens upon tens and tens and tens of people that I used to know in circles that I would run in. They got radically changed by Jesus at their varsity days. And this guy, I'll never forget, he was studying to become a chartered accountant. And when he got saved, he had this thing in his heart and he would say, listen, but I now realize that I want to give my life for God. I want to spend every waking second for Jesus and his kingdom. So I guess I have to stop studying accounting and I need to go and work for the church. Or I need to become a full-time missionary to China. Or I need to become a pastor or some kind of preacher because then I will do something with my life for God. And how many people have that mindset? You know, well, the pastor is doing something for Jesus. You know, I just go to work every week. But beautifully, this guy came to this realization in discipleship with all the men and women who had been walking the road with Jesus for a long time and realized, you know what? I am doing something for God because I have been called as a chartered accountant. I have been called, in your case, as a plumber or programmer or poet or pediatrician or painter. I have been not just accidentally dropped into my working space. I have been placed there. I've not been left in Pretoria. I have been commissioned here. Your family is not around you by accident. They have been given to you. And in this season, while you are planted here, you have a holy calling by God. You are called into your family, called into your office, called into your commune. You are called into your studies, and you are a full-time missionary for Jesus in the city. You look differently at the space. But the result of this disconnectedness that we have, there are holy moments and mundane moments, the sacred things and the secular things. It wreaks havoc on our faith. We have the schizophrenic faith. I'm doing something Christ-like now, and then I'll just enter into my work life a bit later. So a South African survey amongst Christians led to statements like this. Maybe some of you will resonate with this this morning. People said, I often make work decisions without hearing or even talking to God first. I struggle to express why Jesus is the center of my life and my work. I seldom get away from work and rest to reduce stress and discouragement. I usually don't feel God's presence when I'm working. Or in my work, decisions and interactions with people, God is rarely the top of my mind. Is that how you feel at times? But hear this, friends. This is the challenge. Out of the 52 parables that Jesus taught, 45 of them had to do with the work context. He was meeting people where they were. Out of the 40 miracles, we've been starting in the book of Acts, the story of the early church. Out of the 40 miracles we see happening in the early church, 39 of them happen outside the kind of quote-unquote walls of the church. 
It wasn't just a whole bunch of gatherings of Christians. It was in the marketplace, in the offices, in the space of commerce and interaction that God was working powerfully. That's where the church started. The most powerful expression of the church was not a temple. It was the table of the people coming together. It was the workers going to work with Jesus in their hearts and the Spirit empowering them for what they have been called to do. You know, in Bloom, in Dr. Bloom, we used to have our partnership conversations together with our evening. I would sit with every single person who joined the church as a partner. I've had hundreds of those conversations. And inevitably, people would ask me some version of a question like, do you think that Doxa is an effective church? And usually what people were asking is they were asking me if I think our gatherings, these moments, are effective at building the kingdom. And I would tell them, I think these moments are great. I think it's beautiful. I give my life to what we do here. But if you ask me if Doxadeo Hatfield and Doxadeo is an effective church, I will once again say, guys, let's wait until tomorrow morning. When all the lights are off here, when all the cars have gone, from tomorrow till next Saturday evening, we can gauge, are we an effective church? Because city changes look differently at their city. You have a holy calling from God. You are a father or mother. You are a brother or a sister. You are a colleague. You're a student. You're in high school. And you have been sent by God into that space. This is your calling. Thank you, Marianne. Do you, does anyone want to participate in this sermon? You guys are literally like dumbstruck this morning. Isn't it right? Heinrich, is it okay? Well, you guys maybe just like give an amen or a hallelujah or a Joe, please shut up this morning or something. In Dr. Day, we say we want to know God, we want to love people, and what we want to impact our world. You know what impact means? Impact means to have a strong effect on someone or something. So when you meet, like I did this, this week, an old friend, it has a strong impact on you. It leaves an impression. When you watch a riveting movie or you, le- you read a, a life-changing book, I know no, no one reads books anymore, but you know, just pretend that you read a book. That would have an impression on you. Come on, you watch Netflix all the time. Let's just be honest, guys. Or just imagine getting driven over by a car on the highway. We often make the joke, I would not just appear back on stage. Oh, guys, I'm a bit late this morning. Sorry, I was changing my tire. And, you know, as I step back into the road, a, a truck just flattened me. So I'm a bit late this morning. No, it would leave an impression upon us. There would be impact. Just imagine with me this morning the invitation that every single Christian in the city, every single person who calls themselves a Jesus follower, that they would take up the fullness of their calling to make an impact every single day of their lives. Do you know what would happen to the city? Do you know the impression that would be left on marriages and families and offices, on businesses, on the future of this country? And people said, I just don't go to church. I am the church. I don't come to support a prophet or a pastor. I have been called to the prophetic, to the pastoral. I'm the pastor of my family. I'm the pastor of my business. I'm the pastor of my colleagues. I'm the pastor of my kids. I'm the pastor of my friends. I'm the pastor of the street called Linwood. I'm the pastor of an area. I'm the pastor of the city. You've been called, friends. Imagine what our city would look like if people realized that Jesus is calling us to see every single square meter of the city as his. 
Do you hear that, friends? How often do we speak about this space as the house of the Lord, right? Welcome to the house of the Lord, friends. Guys, the house of the Lord is right out there. The city of Tswane is the house of the Lord. Listen to what Colossians says, 1 verse 16, for everything. Can I make that joke again? You know what the Greek means for this word? It's astonishing. It means everything. For everything was created by him in the heavens and on the earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. And listen to this. All things have been created through him and what? And for him. When Jesus looks at the city, he looks at every square meter and he says, this is mine. (laughs) And you have been called into that invitation. You walk in victory to say, I claim the square meter that is my life, that is my studies. When you go and sit down, not at the moment for the students, but pretend you were to go and sit down in your class and not just open up Zoom, but you were actually to go to class where you sit in that square meter that's Jesus claiming that space as his. Dads, when you walk into your house, man, I struggle with this. Am I taking up the calling to say these few square meters, it's the ownership of Jesus that he's about to bring, and it's grace, and it's truth, and it's love. Just imagine if every Christian in this city said, where is my square meter that I can take responsibility for? I'm not just going to go to the church. I am the church. I don't just serve an afar Jesus. I have him in me. He is with me. He's for me, and he is working through me. We think differently about the city. But secondly, really quickly, city changes think differently about what the church. They think differently about the church. Now, I've used this example before, but I wanted to, I wanted to settle in your mind somewhere. So in the early parts of the 20th century, you would go to a place like New York's major harbors, and you would see thousands of people getting taken to and fro by these cruise liners that would take people from A to B, thousands upon thousands of people going between North America and Europe. And it was one of the biggest industries of the time. You would get on the ship, and for a couple of days, you would go from A to B. But then, everything changed. Because in 1959, the very first ever big commercial airliner took flight. And suddenly, what used to take six days would now take six hours. And suddenly a whole industry that looked indestructible was in massive trouble because we were in the transportation business and now other people are doing it much better. And so everyone realized that in a couple of years, we are going to see all these ships on the scrap heap. And is that what happened? No. Why? Because a whole bunch of innovative ship owners realized, you know what, what we should do is we should change the focus of our industry. We are not in the transportation industry. We are in the entertainment industry. We are not going to transport people. We're going to take them on cruises. So instead of going from A to B, we're just going to go in loops. And we're going to say, guys, this is awesome. You can consume and you can relax and you can drink drinks. And if it takes 20 days, even better. And they shifted their hearts from, from, from transportation to consumption. Now, here's my fear, friends, that for decades now, especially in a place like South Africa, people have started seeing the church as a cruise liner. We are here to consume. We are here to be entertained, maybe even. 
We are here to be kept busy. And once a week, at least, I go to a space and I am whipped up with excitement and the bells and the whistles. And there's a camel on stage. And here's an awesome thing that we do. And something's happening. And woo, look at the lights. And it's amazing. Is that what the church is? Friends, we are not a cruise liner. We are a battleship. Can I say that again, friends? Do you hear me? We are not a cruise liner. The church is a battleship. Because on a battleship, we are not there for entertainment. We're saying we have a mission, and I have a brother and a sister. Let's go. And it's all hands on deck. We're saying, man, I have not just a seat to fill. I have a role to play. I have a calling in the space. And when I look at church, I don't think about passive consumption. I think about family that goes on mission together. Friends, if you are not in your community group, we miss you. Because you have something to offer to those around you. When you are not in the space, we are missing some of the gifting and the wisdom and the calling. Some of the anointing of God, because that's who you are. He has not made you a passive participant. He's made you an active member. That's why, in fact, as I use that word, in Doxadeo, we said it on Tuesday again, not because we want to be funny. We don't call the people who join the church members. You know why? Because I think in most people's minds, membership sounds like something you would do with Virgin Active or with Vodacom or with Absa Bank. I'm a member, so I pay a bit of money and I get a service. But we saying, no, all throughout the Doxa family, we say we don't have members, we have partners. Because we're not members of a club. We're not members of a service. We are partners in a dream. We are partners in a dream to see the knowledge of the glory of God cover the city of Pretoria like the waters cover the sea. I want to see the glory of God, which means everything that God is, cover your marriage, cover your house, cover your life, cover your business, cover the strip, cover the city, cover the university, cover every life that we see interaction with us with. We are partners in a dream. Listen to how Paul speaks about those who are around him in the early church. In Philippians 4, he says, you are my true partner. He says, we are co-workers. I love Colossians 4 when he says, we are co-workers for the kingdom of God. Think about that. Imagine someone said, man, when I think about my church, I think about the Yandere and the Anikas. Or I think about Denel or Jason and Mundy. And I think about us going on mission together because we are family. Guys, this ship, this battleship, the whole, the church collectively, every church in the city, whether it's CRC or Shofar or Doxa or the Dutch Reformed Church down the road, we are the battleship that brings to the people who are experiencing lostness, who are experiencing pain, who are experiencing brokenness. We are the ones who are bringing the kingdom to them. We're not waiting for them to come to us. We are going to them. Friends, we look differently at the church. So in the words of Alan Platt, who actually started Doxadeo in the book with the same name, City Changes, he says this, we must realize that God wants to do something through the people. He says, people are not just coming to the church to be blessed. No, they are coming to be equipped. They are coming to be equipped as City Changes, fully-fledged disciples, followers of Jesus, who will execute God's agenda on the planet. They are not just attending a program. They are the program. What programs do you offer in Doxadeo Hatfield? One program, friends, you. 
we think differently about the church. You have a calling by Jesus. And finally, we think differently, not just about our city and about the church, but we think differently about our faith. We think differently about our faith. Can I just say that it's a truism that so many of us feel utterly defeated and helpless in our faith. We feel weak. We feel broken. And part of the reason why is because we are so deeply affected by the fall of mankind and Adam. Man is sinful. Man is broken. Man is lost. Man has spat life back in the Father's face. We are the captain of our own soul. We will worship ourselves and what we've made. We are so overwhelmed by that. God, my past, my mistakes, the things I wish didn't happen in my life, I'm so deeply affected that we don't realize that as deep as the scar is, the impact is of the fall of man and Adam, the Bible says it is no match for the impact that we have in Jesus. The victory of Jesus not just matches, but outmatches, outruns, overperforms over the brokenness of your past. It's not just that God is putting a big band-aid on the boo-boo that is your life and now just is you waiting around for heaven to kind of consume you and take you away. No, listen to what Romans says. Romans 5, 17, it says, Yes, since by one man's trespass, death reigns through that one man. This ever-repeating cycle of man turning away from the one who is life, wanting to serve and worship himself, yes, Death reigns in that. There was death in my relationships. There was death in my way of thinking about life. There was death in my brokenness. I was the most conceited, selfish, porn-addicted person that I knew. I was going out to mess around with girls to take from them that I would never want to give. I don't want to give my life to them. I just wanted their bodies and just what they could give me. I was so consumed with my life and my needs and my everything, I saw death on the inside. And did I find religion? Did I find the fivefold path or the five pillars? Did I find nirvana? If I tried harder and I do better and I, and I take up a chant and I, and I try and apply and I, and I try and put myself back together. No, what did I find? No, in fact, I was found. Death reigned through that one man, but how much more? You want to say that with me for a second? How much more? Just one more time. How much more, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace, the undeserved favor of God, and the gift of righteousness, right standing with your Father, the Creator eternal, how much more will they what? Reign in life. Will they reign in life through this one man, Jesus? Not just exist in life, not just go through life, but they will reign. Why? Because Jesus has done a finished work. You can't add to it. You can't subtract from it. You can believe in it and have it transform you and live for him. Friends, the depth of the impact of your sin is completely outmatched by the reign of Jesus in your life. And note that how much more, the newness of that how much more, that you are now something different. It's the foundation of how we enter into the city every week. So 2 Corinthians 5, 17 so famously says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what? He can become better. He might attain peace. No, it says he is a new creation. 
If you sit here today with your faith in Christ alone, you are a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. You are a new creation. And as you walk into your house and as you walk into your business space, as you walk into your commune or into your, into your res, let's say, you walk in there with the joy of knowing I'm not going to attain this. I have received this. Because he's that good. You know, I think of in 2009, the University of Bristol, they did the first ever global study of animals in circuses and in zoos. And one of the, the first things that they said, they said this was the reality of studying these animals. So they said that neither natural environment nor much natural behavior can be recreated in these spaces. Isn't that the truth? If you find a lion in, in nature, it's ferocious. It's bold. It's like fire in its eyes. It's, it's a sight to see. But if you find a lion in the circus or in the zoo, it's timid. It's fearful. It's uncertain. When the whip is cracked, it literally behaves in a certain way to accommodate its almost programming. Friends, that's religion. If you do, if you chant, if you pray, if you give, if you come, if you go, if you do that enough, maybe one day you will. That's from the outside in. That's behavior modification. My life feels broken. Okay, so do this and you will find peace. You will find nirvana. You will find paradise. But that's not Jesus. He does not come to change our behavior. He comes to transform us from the inside out. He doesn't say, come, you can do. He says, look, I have done. Accept and receive. Be regenerated and found. Be adopted and renewed. I can't change your behavior. I can change your soul and what you grow as a new creation. This is the calling that we have. That's why Acts 17, 28 says, for in him we live and we move and we have our being. You are no longer in sin as a Christian. You're not in death. You're not in brokenness. You're not in recovery. You're in Jesus. Do you know that as you enter into the city? And last story is many years ago, we were in grade seven. We went on a rugby tour to the Western Cape. And one Sunday, we finally had an off day. And they recently had opened, that ages me quite a bit, this place called Retanga Junction. Anyone heard of that? Yes, I mean. And us Bloom guys, we said yes to the Western Cape. We're going to go to this magical place called Retanga Junction. But we had heard that the queues are legendary. You're like in a queue for hours just to ride like a 10-second ride. But when we got there that day, that fateful Sunday, the Lord had parted the waters for us. He had gone before us. Favor was upon us because there was no one, not a single person in that whole theme park. Now, can you imagine 25, 13-year-old boys having the whole of Retanga Junction for themselves? Friends, it was pandemonium. We didn't stand in queues. We just stayed in the rides. You know, the harnesses would open up again at the end of the ride, and we would just show the guy, yes, we're good, we're good. And they would just close again, and we would just go for the second round. We would be on the bumper cars for 45 minutes at a time because there was no one in the queue to stop the ride for. We had complete authority over Retanga Junction. We had complete authority as a bunch of delinquent 13-year-olds, and it was beautiful. 
Can I just ask you in jest, can you imagine what your life would look like if God had complete authority over it? Not just for an hour and a half on a Sunday, but every day. When God has complete authority over it. And you see, you know what we're going to do today? We're not going to theorize about it. We're just going to go do it. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me just for a second here. Stand with me. This plane is going to feel like it's landing very quickly, and that's intentional. Because we can speak about being the people of God out there all the time. But today, we're just going to do it. I can speak about your calling in the city as much as I want. But today, I just want to release you. We can encourage each other as sent ones, or today, I can just send you. And here's my encouragement to us. I'll explain in a second. Maybe you say, Joe, <laughs> it's all great, but that's not me. I, I, I can't speak about God. I, I can't go. I can't make an impact. This is, it's not for me. It's maybe for others. It's not for me. But can I just encourage you? Listen to what Romans 10 says. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And then Paul says at the end, so beautiful. He says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring what religion, teaching, wisdom know, who just bring good news, who just bring good news. Now, friends, do you know how the feet of the early church looked like? <laughs> they were not beautiful. People joke about Jesus sandals. They didn't call them Jesus sandals. They just had sandals. And you walked hundreds of kilometers a month in grime and dust and rocky and, and, and deserty terrain. So do you know how the feet of the early church looked? It was not beautiful. It was horrendous. But it's not called beautiful because the people were beautiful, but because the message is beautiful. Because the Jesus that they had in their hearts, man, he's beautiful. He's not just useful, he's beautiful. His word is not just religion, it's freeing life. And all that he calls us to do is he says, that which is in you, just give it, just share it, just release it. How beautiful is the king who in one breath in Genesis 1 can say it is good as he creates. And in the same breath in John can say it is finished. How beautiful is the king whose feet is not kissed as he comes to this earth, but whose feet are bloodied and battered for you and me. How beautiful is the feet of the king who looks at you and I and says, I will not abandon my project of the kingdom. I will come and give my life for you. I will come and substitute myself for you. I will come and raise you up. That's good news. And so what we're going to do is you'll see in the middle of the church today, we do not have nice cookies. I took a broken one as an illustration here. We don't have average size cookies. We have monster cookies. <laughs> and these cookies are just meant to be a blessing to the people of our city. And you'll see with that, there's a little card that's been stuck onto it. And there's just an encouragement for the people of Pretoria that are hurting, that are broken, that are tired, that feel out of their depth at the moment, that feel scared, that feel uncertain about tomorrow. 
And I can give them advice, friends. I can give them a book. I can give them philosophy. I can give them a whole bunch of things. But I would prefer to give them the beauty of the king. And what are we going to do? Someone said, Joe, you should have warned us because I have high heels on today. That's cool. What we're going to do is literally as a church, I'm going to ask you just to sanitize your hands before you grab one of these. We're each going to grab a cookie and a card. And I think there's probably even enough for one of you to grab two. And we are literally on Pentecost Day. Today is 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. And do you know that we can preach about the filling of the spirit and the tongues and the gifts? and the, That's awesome. But you know what happened on Pentecost? The people went out. And we are just going to go out. And we're going to do a prayer walk. And we're going to pray in little groups of twos and threes all the way up to the center just here up the road. Hillcrest Center. It's not far. A couple of hundred meters. And as we're praying, as we're going with masks on and social distancing, please don't put your hands on someone. Please don't pray for someone. All we're going to do is as we just encounter people, I'm just going to ask them, hey, can I just bless you with something today? Can I just tell you that Jesus is good and he's blessed me and I just want to be a blessing to you. And if someone wants to pray, do that. Stand just afar and just say, hey, can I just pray for you? But bless someone today with the good news and see how beautiful the feet are of those who bring Jesus. So we're going to go in twos and threes. We're going to walk all the way up to Hillcrest. You can leave your car just here and you can come back. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and do incredible things in the hearts of the people of Twane today.